Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Michael Tortoran, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Hi, thank you for having me, Mark. Michael Tortoran is a native Angelito practicing landscape design at Zanja Madre Studios in Los Angeles, California. He has worked in small, mid-sized, and global landscape architecture firms and designed projects from the smallest residential gardens to complex international podium projects. Michael's interest in discovering and sharing stories of landscape architecture led him to launch the Landscape Architecture Podcast, and since its inception, he has produced over 60 interviews with luminaries in the profession. His latest endeavor is producing a documentary series about Kat Superfisky and her work with the Los Angeles River. You can learn more about that at superfiskyfilm.com. Um, Michael, this is an interesting conversation. Landscape architect, doing film, podcasting. I want to dive into all of that. I want to learn why you're doing it, how you're doing it. Uh, but before we do that, I want to know more about you. I want you to go back to wherever you want to go back to. Where did you discover your passion for what you do today and share that story to where you are today? Sure. Um, so I grew up in Los Angeles. And um, uh, first off, I'm pretty jealous of your voice. Um, being a podcaster, I think you you hit the lottery with that. Um, Thank you. Uh, so uh, I wish uh, maybe you could do all my voiceovers for me. But um, 
anyway, yeah, so I grew up in Los Angeles, California, and I was an artist, but I didn't have a lot of direction. Um, so in order to thwart that, I uh, joined the Coast Guard. I did four years of heavy weather search and rescue. Thank and, you for that service. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, my pleasure. Um, after that, I used my GI Bill to get an art degree because I've always identified as an artist. And so I was very fortunate to align myself with a very good art school. That was, um, I learned photography, printmaking, drawing, um, all of that. And I was fortunate to be a professional artist for about 10 years. Um, and after about 10 years, I there was like a fork in the road and it was like, okay, do I want to be a professional artist for the rest of my life? Or do I want to find something different? Um, and I decided that I wanted something with more, um, something with more of a sense of civil responsibility. So like many, I think all architects secretly want to be artists. And I think all artists secretly want to be architects. <laughs> yeah. um, so I decided to become an architect and I started going to lectures at um at UNLV in their lib in their library they had a, a great lecture series and in that lecture series a landscape architect spoke and from that moment on I knew exactly what I wanted to be I was like okay I want to be a landscape architect because like many people you know we don't the general people don't know about landscape architects. It is changing. There is more exposure. Yeah. But definitely 15 years ago was a lot less. What was it, I, Michael, about that that lecture that resonated with you that sort of changed everything for you? Sure. What it was was um, there was a landscape architecture firm, and I wish I can't remember the name because it was so long ago, and I didn't know what I was looking at at the time. But if I was to try to, um, you know, articulate what it was that attracted me to the field was they were the lead on a project in China in which there was a series of dwellings that were, um, you know, 70% subsurface, 30% uh, above ground. And then, of course, there was like really um, elegant roof gardens that swayed over them. And, you know, he talked about how it, how siting was important. And of course the production value of the green roofs in regards to producing actual fruit. I mean, um, um, veg, uh, you know, subsidence, right? And also the aesthetics and I just, the images were so beautiful. And I was like, okay, that's, that's what I want. That's was there I'm something thinking. in your background that that sort of when when you saw that and realized that that was possible that there were people who designed those kind of things uh, that helped um, you connect to that or was it just it it just popped up and like wow that's something new and you were interested in it I, you know I come from a long line of farmers and uh, I mean I was born I've never farmed a day in my life um, but if you believe that there is things that carry over. Yeah, you know, with like epigenetics or that kind of stuff, sure, and if you subscribe sure. to that ideology, it, I feel like there was a strong pull towards regaining. Yeah, back, back and probably to that. stories you probably heard as a child of uh, sure, your family and, yeah. and what they did, and that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, 
and visiting, I, you know, I visited Serbia, you know, five, six times as a kid and we'd play on the farm and stuff. Of course we were the Westerners that were visiting. Yeah. Um, we didn't have to do any work, but um, I guess even just playing in the cornfields and jumping in the haystacks and the silos and riding the yeah. tractors and smelling the diesel was all um, pretty, pretty cool experience. Yeah. So it was all part of you inside somewhere. And so when you saw that lecture, it sort of connected with a piece of who you were. I suppose. And then if I get to draw as well, yeah, right. And put my art career, um, uh, apply my art career to something that, and, and, it, and it worked. And then I just started studying for my GRE and um, I never looked back. It was one of those definitive moments where I was like, oh, this is it. I know, I know what I'm yep. doing. So you became, became a landscape architect and where did that take you? Sure. So I graduated from Ohio State in 2000. When did I graduate? 2012. <laughs> um, so I'm not, a, I mean, I am a practicing landscape architect, but I don't have my license yet. Yeah. So I'm a landscape designer, but I'm sure you architects understand that uh, it gets really complicated. Um, so professionally, I yeah, you're, you're trained, trained, yeah. right, tra trained yeah, as right, a landscape right, right. architect. Yeah. yeah. So professionally, I have to declare that yeah. I'm a landscape designer for liability, but sure. I'm, yeah. I'm, yeah. So, um, so sorry, what was the question? Well, where, how did, how did becoming a landscape architect or being trained oh, sure. as a landscape architect lead to, lead to where you are now? Sure. So I've always had a really strong entrepreneurial spirit in, in whatever it is that I did. Um, and when I got out of school, I uh, st started taking on a couple residential jobs. And then I realized I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> um, like it's way more complex than I, I, I would have thought. So uh, I, I, I worked for a design build firm, which is I think one of the best things that I've ever done because you get to design a construction detail and that day it's being built. Right. Or, um, you know, you get to see your work live in process. You get to see your mistakes. You get to see the contractors mistakes. So, and I think I like to think like an engineer and, and that really excites me. I love, I could, if I'm at a party, I might corner you and talk to you about bolt sizes and threads for four hours, right? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Until you like either walk away or you're just as passionate as I am. So I really love that aspect where I got to really dive into the, the construction detail parts of it. Um, I outgrew that firm a little bit. And, and from there, I went to SWA, which is a national, I mean, an international firm. Um, and I then I got to do big projects um, in Los Angeles, Serbia, Dubai, um, lots of work in China. And that's, you're doing landscape architecture at that point? Yeah, yeah, correct, correct. Yeah, all landscape yep. architecture. And I specialize in planting plans and const I was like the construction detail guy, right? Like if you couldn't figure it out, you know, you'd come to me and um, I would do my best to try to propose certain, certain answers. Um, and then from there, I left and I went to Rios, um, formerly known as Rios Clemente Hale Studios, now just Rios. And I um, I was in the residential department there, so I kind of came back full circle, but um, really high-end 
residential, um, where some of the projects just for the landscape is a, a larger budget than a lot of public parks, which was a crazy existential experience. Yeah. Uh, so for, is that mostly was that mostly due to the scope of the projects or the types scope, of plants, size, or, okay. clients, uh, you yeah. know, all of the above. Custom so you're talking about features. full landscape transformation, full size, full Absolutely. size, yeah, grown yeah. trees, I mean, transplantation and all that. Yeah. And not just plants. Like when you talk about landscape architecture, it's all about, you know, there's also um, hardscape and yep. pools and, um, you know, circulation and, uh, water feature consultants with with water fountains that that rival you know the same people who are doing the bellagio water fountains you know those those right those types of um of uh, consultants and so that was a lot of fun and then i then i just decided to go on my own it was like okay now it's time now i actually know something right um i can so actually contribute yeah when, when was that when you started your own thing um geez when was that uh not too long ago maybe less than two years ago yeah okay and and doing residential work yeah just residential i i like i like residential a lot and of course since i'm not licensed um it makes it a little bit more complicated to bring on an extra uh somebody that's licensed to get different uh you know commercial work which i've done and it's fine and it's yeah. fun but um, for now, I'm happy doing residential, and later on, I'll get into to public public works. Yeah. So, what inspired you to pursue the podcast and the video work that you're doing? What sure. where where what's the origin of that? Yeah. So for the for the podcast, I remember being in grad school, and um, podcasts were pretty big at the at the time, not as big as they are now. Um, but you know, it was a thing, right? People did listen to podcasts in 2009. It was, I would say, in the common vernacular, right? And um, I couldn't find a landscape architecture podcast. And uh, I remember telling my friend it was like three, four in the morning, at a late night studio session, and I was like, "I'm going to start a podcast when I get out." And I forgot that I did that. And then <laughs> fast forward to 2015, when I started mine. Um, my friend reached out and he's like, Hey, you remember you saying that you were going to, and I was like, Oh yeah, I guess I, I guess I did. And I did. Um, so basically it was because there wasn't one that I started one. If there was one that I knew about that was good, I probably wouldn't, wouldn't have started one. And so on the um, podcast, you, you interview other landscape architects and talk sure. about yeah, we interview, I mean, it's called the landscape architecture podcast. Um, but we, we, we like to interview uh, architects as well, um, people, you know, sister disciplines, um, the environmentalists. Um, so we don't narrow it just to landscape architects or super accomplished people as well. Like we obviously we do have that, but we also like to hear what first year students have to say. Um, I think that could be just as fascinating as somebody who's been practicing for 30 years, right? Sometimes yeah. the people who've been practicing really long and are well-polished, they almost have a, a script, right? Because right. they've given seven lectures this year, right? And so by the time they get to you, it's it's already- It's, it's automatic. A little, 
it's a little automatic, which is fine. Yeah. Right. And as a facilitator, you know, this, it's your job to kind of extract, to go a little bit beyond that. But um, yeah. So with, with the, with the podcast, it, what's the, the audience is uh, the profession or do you reach or what, who's the intended audience of that show? Sure. The intended audience is landscape architects, landscape designers. Yeah. And at now, but but what we're we're getting much more political. We're having panel discussions. We're tackling bigger issues. As a as I become a better facilitator, I'm able to um, take on more complex challenges in an interview. And so we want to hit a little bit harder. And when we have done that, um, our our audience has expanded more outside of our field because there's greater interest and um we've done six episodes in spanish so far which is really great yeah and um you know next we want to get into mandarin and we want to get into french and we're really trying to expand a lot that's great and and so you're doing podcasts you're you're sharing the story of landscape architecture and the profession through that podcast but the way I connected with you is through your documentary video series, Super Fisk. Yes. Um, talk about how did that start? Where did that come from? Well, actually, before we do that, what is yeah. it? And then let's talk about where. <laughs> sure, sure. So um, Super Fisky is a series. Um, and uh, there's a little bit of confusion in regards to the series. It's not. It's not a series about her continually. So like part two is not going to be Cat Super Fisky again yep. in a different light. It's going to be a different landscape architect. And a lot of people have that confusion because I don't think I, I conveyed it well. But so back to Cat Super Fisky. Um, she is a, um, a woman from Michigan. And she moved to LA, Los Angeles, just to focus on... Um, on working on the LA River through the eyes of an urban ecologist and a landscape architect. Now, I have um, I have been a professional photographer in parallel to my landscape um, design career. Yeah, I've seen that your your photos are beautiful. I checked them out Thank on you. your website. Really well done. Yep. Thank you very much. Um, so. Uh, yeah, like I like to shoot for architects and landscape architects. So if you think about it, here I am, a landscape architect. I'm a photographer and I'm a podcaster, right? So I'm telling stories through narration. I'm telling stories through video and I'm telling stories through design. So it's a very natural progression to just yeah. create a movie and combine all three of them. And one thing that I think your audience might find interesting is the catalyst for me actually doing that documentary is um rem coolhouse's son tomas coolhouse created a documentary called rem right and it's all about um rem coolhouse and his work and i interviewed him for my podcast to talk about the filmmaking progress or to talk about the filmmaking process just because i thought it was interesting yeah. Um, somewhere I knew there was deep down where I wanted to make a film, but it was just more of, I guess, a fantasy, right? But once I interviewed him, I was so amazed by 
his articulation and his enthusiasm and his um, his methodology to creating a documentary that I left that interview so inspired and I was like, oh, I'm doing this. <laughs> I'm gonna create a, a documentary. And I didn't know how, I didn't know what, but at that so moment- you, you didn't even know at that point what it would be about. You just knew that this was something you wanted to do. All these pieces of who you were were coming yeah. together and and uh, and he inspired you to, to make it a thing. Yeah, and I, I, would, I would say it's one of my favorite episodes that I've ever done. Um, not to plug my yeah. podcast, but if you're interested in all about filmmaking or just hearing Rem's Cool House's son talk about filmmaking, I, I highly recommend. Yeah, that we will link that episode. that episode to sure. uh, to our show notes. So if anybody wants yeah. to listen, just go to the show notes for this episode, and uh, you can click. Yeah, he's really intense, and so when I chose the intro music for that, I put like um, like death speed metal <laughs> yeah, for the yeah. intro and. Uh, Afterwards, I don't think he was very happy about it. But um, a couple of years later, I re re-listened to it, and I was like, "No, I think that was artistically." <laughs> it's the, appropriate. The right, the, yeah. uh, appropriate. So <laughs> I took a little bit of creative um, liberty um, yeah. with 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 that. But um, so that inspired you to pursue documentary filmmaking. So how did you actually do it? Because what you're sure. doing is not a YouTube video. What you are doing no. is real documentary filmmaking. The, the, yeah. I've seen the the trailer. I haven't seen. I don't know if the actual sure. documentary has been released, but the trailer's very high quality, very well done. Yeah. I'm looking forward to watching the documentary. Thank you, thank you. So yeah, the, it, uh, the, that's one thing. The, the way it came about, the way it came to fruition, is actually a pretty cool story. So um, I, I teach at Cal Poly Pomona, not as if I don't have a shortage of things to keep <laughs> my day busy, but I also lecture at Cal Poly Pomona in the in the landscape architecture department. And I had taught two photography classes um, so far. And um, remember in the back of my head, there was that itch to create to create a film. And I got a, a email from the department head just out of the blue. And he says, hey, do you want to teach a film class? And I was like, absolutely. <laughs> I was like, now I have a crew. I have 15, ah, I, have, I have, yeah, I have 15 students. And I had no idea what the subject was going to be. I had no idea. I mean, I don't even know how to make a film, right? Like, so, but uh, I have that Eastern European work ethic, can-do attitude. And I think architects and landscape architects, just by our nature of what we do, we have to understand really complex systems all the time and new ones, and we have to be able to digest it quickly. Right, so I think that skill set is something that we could take into whatever it is that we do. So I said, okay, yeah, sure, I'll teach this filmmaking class. Um, and at first, it was just going to be a series of interviews of interesting landscape architects, and I was just going to teach students how to do lighting, and I was going to make a little documentary on a collection of interviews. Yeah. And then I met Kat Superfisky. Yeah. And I was like, stop. This was already like four weeks into the class. And I said, stop. We are focusing our whole entire documentary documentary on her. And the class was like, what are you talking about? We can't just shift. And I was like, we can and we will and we are. And um, if you watch the trailer, you'll understand why I made that artistic decision because it doesn't take long to fall in love with her and the work that she's doing. So 
I said, okay, we're doing the whole entire interview about her, um, or sorry, the whole entire um, documentary about her. And uh, we went and I got all the equipment. I had a Sony A7 uh, II, uh, four other students had Sony A7s, so we had some consistency. I had um, some GoPros, um, I had bought a drone, and um, here's the best part about the make, or my favorite part about making this movie, is um, we in the, towards the end of the class, luckily we got most of our filming done, and then um, the pandemic hit and the school shut down and now we can't no longer meet in person, right? And I'm a very um, thick-headed artist. So if I have something in my head, like a vision, and I want it accomplished, I'm going to make it happen. And one shot that I thought was important to tell the story of the LA River and the work that Kat Superfisky is doing on the LA River is we need a helicopter shot from the start of the river all the way to Long Beach, was a, which is a 51 mile shot, which is impossible to get with the drone. You just can't do it. And so we need a helicopter. So pre-COVID, I was gonna raise money and hire a helicopter and go up and fly and film it. But when COVID hit, two things happened. One, this was when we didn't know if anyone was gonna have a job, right? There was a lot of insecurity. Right. And I didn't feel comfortable asking my peers and my audience for money at that time because I thought it would be insensitive, right? People are right. worried about their jobs. And then another thing was, um, well, that was that was the main reason why I didn't I didn't want to do that. And I didn't have the resources to bankroll it myself and neither did the school. So I saw this guy creating these wonderful YouTube videos post COVID of flying around LA and showing that how empty it is and it was very very eerie right yeah and so i d i direct messaged him on instagram i told him my story and i said you know would you help me get footage of the la river and i thought okay you know it's worth a shot right yeah yeah he he messaged me back and he says sure and i was like okay cool excited but a little skeptical <laughs> two weeks later he sends me 4K footage on a gimbal, which is a, a video stabilizer from yep. the belly of his helicopter and another 4K footage on the nose of his helicopter. And he flew all 51 miles of the LA River in 4K and then just gave it to us. No questions wow. asked. Wow. The shot and that would, would, how much would that have cost in a full feature <sighs> film? It probably 50 grand to do something like that? A lot. A yeah. lot. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. And so we got really lucky with that. Let's take a break to thank our sponsors for their support of this episode. What if you could visualize your building in a couple of clicks, remove months from the design process, or create a bridge between stakeholders to solve problems before they even come up? Our friends at Twinmotion offer simple real-time visualization for architects. Their technology lets you view and edit your scene on the go in the same pixel-perfect quality as the final rendering. 
Twinmotion seamlessly integrates with other tools like SketchUp and Revit, transforming your BIM or CAD models into high-quality images, panoramas, VR videos, or presentations. Sound complicated? Well, what if I told you that Twinmotion enables anyone to present the biggest ideas in the easiest way possible, regardless of previous CG experience? To download your exclusive free trial, head to twinmotion.link slash entrearchitect. That's twinmotion.link slash entrearchitect. BIM can be important for your next project, but it's not the only thing you need for your next project. That's why it's important that 95% of manufacturers who offer free BIM files on RCAT also offer another type of data or information that your project may need. That means 95% of the products with BIM also have CAD files, are in a specification, in a patented spec wizard, or may have product information to help you make the right selection. So stop going to a site with just BIM and go to rcat.com to get everything you need for your next project for free and without registering. No cost, no credit card, no email, it's free. That's rcat.com, A-R-C-A-T.com. When building a business you're passionate about, it's easy to feel like there aren't enough hours in the day. And if you're doing all the invoicing and accounting on your own, you're probably spending time on work you don't love. FreshBooks is built for business owners like us. It's the all-in-one accounting software that saves entrepreneurs and freelancers up to 11 hours a week. That's 11 hours that you could spend nailing a client pitch, designing your next project, or building your business as an architect. From preparing, sending, and following up on invoices, to tracking and managing expenses, to processing online payments, FreshBooks automates and simplifies all the tough and annoying parts of running your own business. So try FreshBooks for free for 30 days. No credit card required. Go to entrearchitect.com FreshBooks and enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section and get more time back to build the business you love. That's entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks. Monograph is building a community of like-minded firm owners and operations leaders who are looking for solutions that align with their firm's values. On top of that, Monograph is building the only cloud-based practice operations software built exclusively for architects by architects. Monograph's easy-to-use and beautifully designed software allows you and your team to know in near real time whether you're on pace to deliver a project on budget. With Monograph, you and your team can plan project schedules, budgets, role assignments, and manage team members all in one place. The best part of Monograph, it doesn't require a degree in finance to use it. To experience the difference today, sign up for a free trial at monograph.com. And to underscore their commitment, on August 12th, Monograph will be hosting their first ever virtual conference. It's called Section Cut. This one-day event brings firm owners, operations leaders, and project leaders together to learn from success stories and workshops, all with the goal of improving their businesses. Reserve a seat at Section Cut today by visiting sectioncut.com. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. What that did 
was one, it satisfied my artistic itch to get that shot. And then two, it really legitimizes our our film, right? And then combine that with the great interviews and the great look and the, and the editing. Um, we are not a student film that's going to be on YouTube and your mom and my cousin are going to watch. Right. <laughs> it's, it's a real documentary. Um, right. This is something doing. you submit to film awards. and. Oh, know. yeah. We already we we've already um, have an Excel sheet with Sundance. Um, yeah. We have which category we will be in. We're going to submit it to the um, uh, full feature documentary and even though it is a series this is going to be treated independent mm -hmm. amongst itself so like um that is the um that is the goal to make sure that is in it's independently full circle and we're going to hire we already have a music composer that we like and he's going to be about ten thousand dollars to do that so i'm trying to raise money um, to pay for that. And the way that I'm raising money um, is to do pre-order sales for the documentary. The idea is you watch the trailer, you fall in love with it, like many people do, and you say, okay, this is something that I could support, right? Right. And then we have like, you know, movie posters that are limited edition done by an artist and all of that. And um, so the stage that we're at now, so I'm editing it to be a full feature we're getting a couple more uh b-roll footage that we miss and then of course then we're trying to finance um because if you do a beautifully shot movie and you score the music wrong you've ruined it yeah for sure and pe people don't even realize how important that is and so when i start talking with filmmakers Here's here's okay. So if you're gonna be a filmmaker, I have two pieces of advice for you. One, I can't say that I'm a filmmaker. <laughs> I am making a film, but uh, there's so many more people more advanced than I am. But I will tell you what I've learned so far is one the biggest mistake that people make when doing their first independent film or documentary is bad audio, right? And Mark, you know this. Um, People will tolerate bad video, but nobody will tolerate bad audio. Right. It becomes and irritating. It, you can't listen it, to it. Right. And here's another thing that's interesting about it is you don't even know why you turn it off. Yeah. Most people. It's just something I don't feel comfortable. I just turn it off. Maybe a few people, audiophiles or, or, or musicians will be like, oh, this audio is horrible. But most people will just, just turn it off. And so that's where I was really lucky with the five years or however long I've been podcasting is I already knew how to, I know how to do a lavalier. I knew how to correct the, you know, I know, I knew how to trap it and I know, I knew how to edit it in post. And that's where people have spent 50, 60, $70,000 on an independent film and it won't get picked up and nobody will buy it because they say you ruined your audio and they can't go back and retrap it. So that's the one good thing that I had about it. Another thing is a photographer, I understood light I understood magic hour. I understood contrast. Um, yeah. And you can even see that in the trailer that, that you understand what you're doing. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Um, 
I'm glad it comes off that way. I'm still, <laughs> you know, um, I'm very insecure. I'm, I'm not insecure when I talk to most people, but if I run into a, like a established filmmaker, like I'm, I'm just like, Oh, don't, please don't, you know, I don't want to hear your suggestions. Be, I, I mean, I do, but yeah, it's like, um, you know, I'm pretending to be somebody. So yeah. I have to get, oh, we over all, that just, we all yeah. start somewhere, right. Even the greatest have started sure. somewhere. Right. And, and some of them started very young, but in order to get to, you know, to be uh, the yeah. greatest in the world, they started somewhere. And, right. and I say that all the time. The only way you can become good at something is to start. <laughs> you yeah. don't, you're not good when you start. Um, what I, what I, before we wrap up, Michael, I wanted to understand a little bit more about um, Cat Superfisky and sure. the LA River. What is, and without giving away the whole story, What's the story about? What is why is Cat important? Why is the LA River important? Sure. Well, as we all know, Frank Gehry, um, you know, won the um, the bid to for the master redesign of the of the LA River, which was met with a lot of contention amongst landscape architects. Um, they chose him because of his name, which is unfortunate, um, because landscape architects have been this is our jam right this is what we what we do but that's okay he seems to be sensitive to that fact um and he's brought on a lot of really good consultants that are landscape architects that have done tons of river restorations and and all of that and then of course the um the reason why this is important now is there's a big effort to revitalize parks and connecting tissue throughout Los Angeles um, via the river. So there's gonna be a lot of work for architects and landscape architects to build, um, obviously make money, um, to talk about social issues and connectivity issues, um, creative ways of, uh, of uh, thwarting gentrification when you build along a river like this, right? right. It's gonna increase yep. property values, what's that's gonna do? And our timing couldn't be better for this documentary because the master plan for the LA River um, just got released. And so there's gonna be tons of um, requests for proposals, requests for qualifications. So our timing is perfect. And Kat has been doing, the reason why she's so important is because she has been an advocate and doing the work um, prior to all of this attention and all of this funding. And so it comes from a place of authenticity. Right and actual work and not just theory, right? So one of my favorite stories about Kat is that, um, you know, she's trying to restore a portion of the LA River across from Lewis McAdams Park. And in order to do that with native plants, um, the amount of native California native plants in order to do that, nurseries just couldn't fill. So what she did was she's like, okay, well then I'm gonna grow my own. So she went through LA, foraged her own seeds, um, propagated them, uh, developed a relationship with an abandoned nursery at Griffith Park. And um, now it's like this flourishing um, nursery of California natives, right? Yeah. And so you combine that with um, her aesthetic, you combine that with her work, with her passion, with the, with the with the interest of the LA River now, and of course, 
the soon to be explosion of more interest, right? Um, Because of all the requests for proposals that are going to be popping up. Um, We couldn't be, everything's so serendipitous from the helicopter footage to the timing in my career, to meeting Kat, to where the LA river is going. Um, it, it, It all seems to be falling into place. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a reason for that. Things happen for a reason, right? And and uh, you being in the position you are and Kat being in the position she is and the things happening at the LA River at that moment, uh, in my opinion, is not a coincidence. Those things happen for a yeah. reason. So it's exciting to see that, to hear what you're t- telling us. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing the documentary. The only thing I know about the LA River, I'm a New Jersey guy, so yeah. you know, I've, I've never even been to LA. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know the LA river through Hollywood, right? The only thing sure. that I know about the Hollywood river is that it's concrete yeah. <laughs> and I don't know is that, is that most of the river? Is that? Yeah. If, if I could tell a little bit of that story as yeah. well, it's, it's fascinating. So before I get into that, keep in mind that Kat thinks that the protagonist to this documentary is the river. And as I'm the filmmaker and I'm like, you're the protagonist, right? <laughs> um, she knows she's the protagonist, but she sees the, the LA River as the protagonist, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I see it other otherwise, which is fantastic because that collaboration, um, it's it's it it's going to tell the complete story, right. right? And and both are true, right? Because and both are true, right? Yeah. Your story Correct. is your story that you're trying to yeah. tell, and her story is her story that she's trying to tell, and so they're they are both equally you know, accurate. Sure. And if we did a documentary just on the LA river by itself, right. It would be successful and it would be fascinating, but I always liked the the human element to things. And um, I think it just adds a little bit more dynamic to it, but real quick, the, the history of the LA river is absolutely fascinating. So prior to, um, prior to the LA river being channelized, um, there it it provided it was a river right like a real river right a lot of people don't believe that it was actually right. like a river right, right. um and so right. it wasn't it to, didn't it didn't grow out of the ground with concrete right exactly yeah 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 so prior to it being channelized um it was uh it was a hub for irrigation um people also don't know that los angeles produced this huge strawberry fields and there was a big agricultural community there um, oranges, um, you know, in Los, in Los Angeles. And there was these offshoots of irrigation called Zanjas. And I named my business off of that, Zanja oh, Madre, yep. right? So mother ditch, that's what Zanja Madre means. And that's what my design company means. Um, and I had that name before I was doing the documentary. So it was even more serendipitous, right? So anyway, so it provided irrigation, but of course, um, it would flood every, um, you know, every, I don't know, every couple dozen years it would flood. And the last flood that it had, people build so close to the, 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 the river that a lot of people died. And when this happened was during the Great Depression and the LA River was actually part of the revitalization of the United States to build infrastructure. And that was the money that was 
poured, I use that with the pun intended of concrete, was poured into um, creating this infrastructural project. And it was also at that time as a way to show off um, what concrete can do. I mean, concrete was around, right. but I, I don't know if anything was, was as long as 51 miles and doing a whole entire river. So it provided work, which people were happy to take. It provided a PR campaign for concrete. And then it also stopped the flooding problem, right? But now we're re-looking at it and talking with the Army Corps of Engineers and like, maybe we didn't have to calcify the whole entire river, right? right? And so now we're deconstructing that. Um, And then there's different parts of the river. Like one part that I find that is so fascinating um, that there's trees and plants and birds. And because the, the grade soil was so wet that they could never figure out how to um, calcify it with concrete. So they just left a huge portion of it um, raw earth. And then in different portions where they could, they it's, it's concrete. And so there's different typologies in the LA River. Of course, it's a corridor um, for wildlife. And now we're trying to make it as a corridor for humans by, um, I think there's about 26 miles that you could bike. And then we're going to try to be able to bike the whole entire thing. So imagine a 51 mile straight, um, straight path in Los Angeles, which you don't get. I'm an avid bicycle rider and like that, that would be heaven. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Especially some sort of transportation other than cars. To have that yes. sort of length of transportation would be really, really amazing. That's a, that's a very interesting story. You had you had mentioned earlier that it's going to be a documentary series, and that the 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 next future uh, episodes of the series or the next documentaries of the series uh, will not focus only on cat. Will they focus on the river? Will the series be about the river? No, or? no, it, it it won't. So, um, it will be on a different landscape architect and what that story is. So a similar um, structure that you have with Kat, you'll pick up with another sure. document with another designer and another story and that'll yeah. be the theory. And there's no shortage shortage of amazing landscape architects that are doing really big things. However, I will say that I've almost completely voided out of my mind thinking about that because I want my full attention sure. into making this piece so standalone and so beautiful and possibly award-winning at Sundance or any other film festival. Um, and my goal is one, of course, artistic expression, but another one of my goals is, um, you know, when I package this, it'll be a pilot that I could pitch to Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, Showtime, yeah. HBO, et cetera. I can definitely see that happening. Yeah. And if I do it right and pull it off, then it could be um, picked up. And that would be the kind of advocacy and exposure work that we as landscape architects could really um, highlight and propel and help people understand how dynamic our work can be. Do you imagine that that becomes your full-time thing, that that's is that your plan is to try to make this into a, this is what you do. You're a documentary filmmaker about landscape architecture. 
Uh, no, I like to, I like to, I like to do a lot of things. You want to do, you want to do it all. I'm, I'm, um, I'm what's it called? Uh, I don't know. I like the punishment of, of being spread, (laughs) of being spread thin. However, I will say that if it gets picked up and, um, you know, I sign a contract for, let's say like 10 episodes and there's a budget, um, obviously I would stop everything else and I would take care of that. Yeah. And that Um, becomes a season in your life and you do that and then you. Sure. And we would see where it goes. You know, if you guys are curious to where my mind is about that, I would say, um, think Anthony Bourdain parts unknown, add a little bit of, um, uh, David Letterman's needs no introduction. Yeah. Maybe a little bit of Seinfeld's riding in cars with comedians. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course me adding my own, my own flavor and perspective. And, and the be- the beauty of it, this is that if I do it right, it should appeal. And the, that's why we didn't call it the landscape architecture documentary, right? We called it super fisky. So anybody scrolling through might be like, what's this about? Watch the right. trailer and be like, I'll watch that. Right, right. Very well done. Super exciting to hear your story. Inspiring to hear your story uh, up to this point. I'm super excited to, to watch the film and to, and to see where it goes and, and to watch you move forward on the rest of the documentaries that you uh, have planned for the future. How can listeners uh, connect with you and contribute uh, you said that you're raising funds to to, sure. to finish things up. How do people do that? Where do they go to to help? Yeah, well, the, if you go to superfiskyfilm.com, not frisky, no R, so superfiskyfilm.com, which is her actual, her real last name. Um, it was a longer name in Polish, and it got shortened when her ancestors came to the U.S., which is another great story in itself. Um, so superfiskyfilm.com and the best way and the easiest way to support the film, of course, we have a GoFundMe and we have all of that, but the best and cheapest way is just pre-order it. I think I have it on sale right now for like under $6. And if everyone pre-orders it, you get to a link to an extended version of the trailer. Um, and if enough people do that, then, I mean, I'm going to make it happen either way. It's just how easy is it going to happen, and how much of it I'm going to have to put out of my pocket. Yeah, and how yeah. and the, and the, and the more people that contribute, then the faster I could get this beautiful story told. So yeah, if people pre-order it, um, that would be that would be fantastic. Um, and of course, you know anybody in media or anyone who wants to interview me or tell 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 this story, of course that would help as well. All right. So if you want to learn more, you want to help share share the message, you want to contribute, you want to pre-order, superfiskyfilm.com is where you want to go. We will have that link in the show notes. Um, I'm going to go pre-order because I want to see it. Oh, thanks, Mark. <laughs> so, so I'm going to I do that as that. soon as we finish wrapping up here, superfiskyfilm.com. Uh, before we wrap up, Michael, I wanted to ask you, what's one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Mm. Uh, networking. I know that it's an old story, but I found that the relationships that you have are really important. Nurturing them, um, doing things ethically, smart, um, you know, not only 
should you be building your network, but you need to be building other people's network. After you've been in the industry for a while, you need to start mentoring people um, without, you need to be doing things without um, anticipation of things coming in return. And they do, right? It's just that can't be your motivation, right? So at the same time, you're building networks, you have to support other people. Um, and anyone who has a small business knows the value of word of mouth and, you know, like if somebody trusts somebody and they say, I want this guy to design my last, my landscape, it's you're in, right? Like, unless yeah. they don't like your style or, or, or whatever, but you're, you've been pre-vetted. Right. And I think that building those relationships is, is good. And, um, I've, I learned that fairly young, um, but I appreciate it more and more every, every day, every relationship, every time someone te texts me, hey, are you taking on jobs right now? Yes, you know, so I would, I would say networking. Is yeah, the, building the network and building those relationships are so important. Um, some of the most successful architects that I've spoken with on this podcast gave the same advice that to build your network and build real lasting relationships. That it's not just yeah. about connecting with people, it's about uh, become, you know, building relationships with people. So they know who you are, you know who they are. Super valuable. I have a short follow-up to that. Yeah. yeah. And is don't estimate, underestimate the power of a written thank you card. I have been writing thank you cards by hand for the last 20, 25 years. And um, I'll run into people at a convention and that's the first thing they bring up is they say, oh, thank you for that handwritten card that you yeah, they remember. mailed, right? And, and, you know, 35 years ago, probably most people didn't write thank you cards, but if they did say thank you, it was with the card or something like that. Now it's like email or text or something. But to do one now in 2021, to receive something tangible with, and, and, you know, um, I tell that to my students when they go to apply for jobs, I say, write a thank you card and mail it to the person that interviewed you, you know, and that's a very easy and inexpensive way and authentic way to really separate yourself apart. That being said, I'll probably get your address and ask, uh, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll mail you a thank you card. So, um, to, to say how grateful I am for you being interested in my story. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I think, I think it's, it's a great way, especially now. It's yes. a great way to stand out because you, everybody knows the mail is a bunch of junk now, right? All our bills aren't even coming through mail anymore. So even the, the important stuff's not coming through the mail. It's just a bunch of junk. And so when you get something that's really meaningful, it, first of all, it makes you happy. It, it, you know, it gives you an emotional connection to that person who wrote that, but it stands out, right? You, those people remembered that you did that because it's so different than everything else that's happening in their lives at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the micro or that's something. So the big concept is networking and then an actual tangible um, tactic Tactic could, could, yep. could be right, writing a thank you card. Yeah. His name is Michael Totoran, T-O-R-O-R-D-A-N. T-O-T-O-D-O-R-A-N. Oh, I have it misspelled here. Oh, that's I, okay. Yeah. I can edit that. His, his name is Michael Totoran. The website is superfiskyfilm.com. Um, we're going to have links to all of that on the show notes. Michael, thank you 
for doing what you're doing, to sharing the story of Cat Superfisky, uh, for sharing the, the story of um, landscape architecture and what landscape architects do. Um, and thank you for joining me here today. This has been a lot of fun today at Entree Architect Podcast. The pleasure was all mine, Mark. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, and share a link to this episode with a friend. Links to all the resources we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. And thank you to RCAT, Studio Services Bookkeeping, FreshBooks, and Twin Motion for their support of this podcast. Entre Architect is proud to be a partner with the largest, most engaged AEC multimedia network on the planet, Gable Media. We're curating thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And check out Entre Architect Academy membership, ready to edit business resources, live monthly training for architects, business training that is, a supportive architect community, yep, it's there, and Simple Systems, our new business system program developed for small firm entrepreneur architects just like you. It's in there for you at Entree Architect Academy. It's waiting for you right there at the membership. Come join me and hundreds of your entrepreneur architect friends. Visit entrearchitect.com slash join to enroll today. Be well, my friends. Be healthy, happy, safe, and secure. Thank you for listening today. Love, learn, and share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it guys. Oh my One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? 
Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.